Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. On this week's episode, I am talking to the designer, teacher, and writer, Laurel Schwolst. Laurel runs an independent design practice based in New York and teaches in design programs at Yale and Rutgers. She previously was the creative director for the Creative Independent and worked as a web designer at Linked by Air. In this conversation, Laurel and I talk about websites. Laurel has spent a lot of time thinking about and working on the web, and we talk about everything from our first experiences online to what a web page can be kind of philosophically and her current interest in the peer-to-peer internet. We also talk about writing and teaching and how those have influenced her design practice and blurring the lines between design and art. I really enjoyed this one. I've been a big fan of Laurel's work for a long time now, but didn't really know much about her going into this and just left this conversation uh, thinking about all sorts of different things. And I really hope that you like it too. If you're a fan of the podcast and want to help support it, we offer monthly and yearly memberships that get you an exclusive monthly newsletter that includes short essays, links, episode previews, and whatever else happens to be on my mind that month. It's just $5 a month, but for the month of December, I'm offering the yearly subscriptions for just $40. That's $10 off the usual rate. Uh, I really hope that you consider becoming a member. I really enjoy writing these newsletters. They've become a great place for me to uh, start to kind of work out ideas and make connections between episodes, and they often generate discussions. These memberships really just help the ongoing production of the podcast, and I really appreciate all of your support and hope that you enjoy this conversation with Laurel Schulst. start these interviews with just like a little bit of background information and, and I'm, I'm very interested in how people got interested in graphic design and I think I think we're about the same age mm-hmm. um, and so I'm kind of curious where where you learned about graphic design or or, or realized that graphic design was a thing Mm-hmm. that you could do or that you might be interested in mm-hmm. I mean as a kid I was always into nature um, okay. <laughs> art and computers okay and so I mean I grew up in the center of Illinois um, technically my birth certificate says normal Illinois on it nice um, and we lived in a wooded area and I would just like go out into the backyard and explore I remember I when I saw that Animal Planet the channel was coming, I like called them to like make sure we got it really fast. Fast, and I remember once we got Animal Planet, I like watched this show where I learned um, that you could keep water striders as a pet, and oh, so yeah. I like went out to catch some water striders and I fed them frozen moths for like two years, and uh, <laughs> I mean I just I, just to say like. That was like a big part of my childhood, but also um, because it was like a kind of boring place. Um, I was also like a horse girl, um, nice, <laughs> nice. so just like very passionate about horses. And I don't even know where that came from. I just remember like I was four and I had already taught myself like how to neigh. But anyway, I like needed to use the computer to learn more about horses. Um, I, yeah, I was kind of. I wanted to ask about that. Of like. You know, you said that your interests as a kid were nature, the computer, and art. Yeah. And I don't know if those often go to 
together. I think like the computer and the art go together, but like nature and computer. Like I feel like I I feel like my friends and when I think of my childhood, there were like the people that really liked nature and really liked being outdoors, and then there were those of us that liked the computer. Yeah, <laughs> and those often didn't overlap. Um, how did those come together for you, or or what was that like? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean. I mean, right now, all I'm thinking of is, like, horses are the link. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, or so how, animals. How, how, how is horses um, the link? Um, how is horses the link? Um, I mean, <laughs> I'm just, like, interested in this creature. And creatures, um, animals, are a big part of nature. Right. Um, and I wanted to learn more about these things. That, I mean, I, it was it was weird because it wasn't even like I was surrounded by horses. It was more like their images in right. books yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. Um, but, you know, like I lived in a forest. And I just remember my dad um, got a computer really early. Like, I remember I was in first grade and I oh, wow. um, logged on to AOL. My first username was LS Leopard because I, I thought leopards were really cool. <laughs> yeah. And my initials were L and S. Um... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a super good answer. I mean, what was it? I mean, let me ask. Let me ask you it in a different way. And, yeah. and I think, like, thinking about your first computer and getting the computer is is interesting. And I remember when we got our first computer, and like, I, I, if I remember correctly, we had a computer for a couple years before we had internet. And you know, you basically could do. Uh, like Microsoft Word, it was like a, it was a gateway computer. It was one of those that came in. Do you remember they yeah, like came the, the box? They had the cow box, yeah. Um, but what what grabbed me about it uh, were two things. One, we had a copy of Microsoft's Print Shop Deluxe mm -hmm. on it, which was like a page maker software. You know, I mean, it was, it was basically like an early InDesign or something like that. And I would go like grocery shopping with my mom or something and look at all the signs in the grocery store and then come home and try to recreate the signs using Microsoft Print Shop Deluxe, wow. which I didn't realize at the time, but was like very early, very primitive graphic design. And to me, that's what the computer was. It was like to, to make things. Um, and then when we got the internet, it was the same thing. Like I was very fascinated by these, like, you know, going to these sites and seeing seeing things that were like on our computer but not our computer was like it like completely opened up something for me I, I'm kind of curious what you know what was that like for you yeah I mean I do remember having a computer before internet um, I remember at a certain point I got to have a computer in my room but didn't have internet and I just yeah went. yeah me too <laughs> um, I remember actually um, you know with your friends in the basement you would play games like store and school yeah yeah, yeah. I remember making school assignments on my computer right yeah I did that too I also remember listening to Alvin and the Chipmunks while like <laughs> doing MS Paint yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't to be honest like I feel like graphic design only came into my sphere like kind of like oh I have to pick a major now and this makes a lot of sense for like these things I'm interested in um, I just remember in fifth grade also, okay, um, before that, like, I feel like I've always, growing up, identif like, self-identified as being, like, weird. Um, mm. and, and what I mean is, like, whenever, like, you know, you'd have to pick a country to do a project on, I'd pick, like, a really small, weird country. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing a, a project on Andorra. Oh, um, nice. And then I, when, I think it was, like, what was it, fifth grade or eighth grade? I forgot, but, like, we had to do a career report. Um, on what kind of career we'd want. And at first, you know, I looked at 
what are all of the careers that combine science and art and maybe computers? Right. And you know, it's like medical illustrator, like graphic right. designer, um, all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, these are too default. Like, and so <laughs> somehow using the internet, I found that there were people doing PhDs in something called design psychology. Oh, interesting. And so I just decided I would be a design psychologist. And you're like eighth grade, so you're like 13 or something like that. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, I was definitely the same way as a kid. I think... I, I, I don't think I would have, I don't know, it's hard to say. I don't know if, like, as a kid, I would have said that I self-identified as weird. Um, I definitely, like, felt different. And now as an adult, and I look at the stuff that I did as a kid and the stuff I was interested in as a kid, I was like, that was weird. <laughs> uh, so I know exactly kind of what you're talking about. But what was what was your introduction to graphic design, I guess is what I'm trying to ask. Like, you know, growing up in normal Illinois yeah. and and liking horses and computers, did someone tell you about graphic design? Did you find this on your own? Like, where did that term come into your life? Yeah, so, that's a good remember? question. Um, I mean, I think... It was also through horses in the internet because I um, played this online horse game that was basically like Neopets but for horses. That's amazing. Um, called Horseland.com um, that I joined around 1999. I remember my first username was like Horsey123. Um, this is the best like <laughs> origin story of the podcast so far, uh, oh, by the way. Um, and I just remember like, yeah, so in this game... Um, you had to create your own images of horses um, because otherwise you'd just get this default picture. And so people were really into, like, you know, finding a beautiful picture of a horse online and then photoshopping the name of the horse. Oh, yeah. And I just yeah. remember I was just really bad at it. Like, compared to a lot of other people, I was just like, wow, how did they do that? Like, I don't have these skills. Um, and, you know, they were doing stuff like, bevel and boss <laughs> right right but you know also just like composition stuff um i mean when i saw a good picture i was like wow this is really good graphic or a good profile picture for a horse i was like this is really good graphic design when you then had to like decide to go to school what how how do you make the connection i promise this whole conversation won't be like the very early uh, no, part of okay. your life but like how did you how did you decide that how did graphic design move from this is a really good way to make perfect horse profile <laughs> yeah. pictures to, oh, this is something I could actually do for a job. Well, a couple of things. Well, well, first of all, I feel like I kind of, I knew graphic design was a thing. And um, for a long time, I tried to resist it because mm. I, I was just like, this is almost too obvious of a connection between, you know, <laughs> computers and art. Right. But... So I had a kind of, you know, circuitous path to this. Um, at first, I wanted to go to a small liberal arts school because I was like, I want to study everything. I wanted oh, yeah. to study, I wanted to be a double major, like uh, biochem and art. Um, oh, geez. So I went to like a small school uh, called McAllister in St. Paul, Minnesota for a year. And then, okay. and I just realized like they had really old, um, I took a design class there and we were using like super old Macs from like 10 years ago. And I was just like, if I really want to do this, I should just focus. And I decided to transfer to RISD. And actually when I got to RISD, I was signed up to be an illustration major. Oh, interesting. And, okay. Yeah. And I just looked at my schedule, um, like in the summer, cause I had to be there for like a summer transfer session. And my schedule was like painting, drawing. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, I already know how to do this. And so right. and I was like, okay, what are the other options where I can, like, learn something? And I'm like, whoa, I'm still bad at 
like making horse profiles. Oh, that, that's I mean, amazing. I mean, not that I was doing that anymore, but I was just like, I really want to learn. Like, I'm going right. to set myself into this. Um, and also, also um, you know, of course, I had some other pressures, like my parents um, <laughs> <laughs> saying, like, don't go into painting or something. Right. Um, Anyway. So when you got into those classes, like, and you started, you kind of were like, oh, graphic design is the thing I'm going to study. And you started taking those classes. What was that like? Did you, were you kind of hooked right away? Were, were you interested in it? Yeah. I mean, um, I was always, I mean, like full disclosure, I was like super bad at graphic design for like <laughs> definitely all of my software here. What does that mean? Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, clearly... Like, I, I was dropped into a pool of p people who had spent their foundation year there right. um, and kind of had already been, like, premeditating the idea that they would be a graphic designer. Um, you know, I, I was looking at, like, because I was like, oh, wow, I'm suddenly in graphic design. I started to look at blogs and everything. And, like, I just remember at a certain point, like, my stuff, the things I was, was doing was, like, all very, like, I had a lot of fun making it, but I just, like, didn't look a specific way. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. But... I remember um, taking a lot of inspiration from uh, literature um, in my projects. Like that was always like, wow, like I can work with text. When when you were kind of finishing at RISD, what were you thinking, or like what kind of, you know, now you had had what was that three years yeah. of of graphic design classes, basically. What what part of that, you know process or that kind of schooling were you really drawn to at the time or what kind of work did you want to do or what like what what, what kind of job were you thinking you wanted to have at that time yeah that's a good question um I'm not sure if I ever like had a specific idea of what I wanted to do I just knew that I wanted to work with people that I thought were interesting yeah. and looked like nice people <laughs> um but I mean maybe I could cite like yeah during I like feel like I changed so much each year of RISD. Like it was like kind of crazy in some ways, but like um, my I'm trying to think. I just remember between my sophomore and junior year, there was this internet art project that went up that I was like completely like taken away by. It was um, this artist Harm Vandendorpel who lives in Berlin now. He had this project called Club Internet. I mean, it was just like an online show. And the idea was, um, it had like an extremely simple interface. Well, first of all, you could just reload it, and it would go to a random work in the show. But oh, then there was just like a drop down, yeah, uh, default drop down. But I was just so, it was so incredible how like immersive it was, and how like I just felt like the computer was the perfect art viewing experience because it's just like one to one and right. like, like, contemplative. Um, not that I had been to a lot of openings yet, but I didn't know how bad they would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that, it kind of gets to, to, I guess, what my real question was, actually. Um, because I feel like so much of your career has been interactive design or web design. Uh, and I'm kind of, I, I guess, like, that's my question is, was that always where you were interested in working online, kind of doing that type of work? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely I was doing a bunch of books for a while, but, um, like, and also there weren't any web design classes at RISD at that time, okay, or coding yeah. classes, so 
I just remember I started to make websites like my last year of school again, but oh, but also backtrack back to like when I was in fifth grade, I was already doing that and knew how to code and from horse life, you know, you right. got to make your horse stable, whatever. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, you know, I'd made, made a personal website like every year, but um, I just started to create like experimental websites because they were fun and no one they were also on the side you know they weren't you they usually they weren't for a class um what do you mean by experimental websites yeah i just i mean um i made this website that was i scanned a piece of meat in the computer lab it was like a really big picture i laurelschwulz.com was just an image tag of this picture of meat that was like really huge and I just remember one of my friends <laughs> said that it crashed his browser when he tried to go to it. Because it was just like a high res image. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, wow, like something happened there. <laughs> I mean, so that was like my first like exciting moment. Um, and so this was like, this is probably like late 2000s, Yeah, 2009. Right? Um, and so... Something something that I wanted to talk to you about, and one of the reasons why I was I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I feel like so much of your work is kind of this like interesting blend of kind of like don't take this the wrong way, but like weird art stuff, but also like very traditional kind of graphic design. And I was kind of curious where both sides of that came together for you. And it sounds like while you were in school, you were already kind of thinking that the web could be this thing for you to do these odd experiments on. Yeah, um, that that's definitely true. Um, I don't, like, I feel like, a lot, I don't know, the, the, the interviews I've already listened to in your podcast, I feel like a lot of people are like, the boundaries don't matter, and I feel like I'm, I'm in that camp. That's okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I... I was, yeah, I feel like I'm actually reading a lot of the interviews in the Creative Independent where I worked um, yeah. had a big effect on me. Um, there's this interview with um, Camila Janan Nasheed, who's an artist, um, and her talk is all about archiving. And I just remember she was, at the end of her interview, she talks about um, this interview with Octavia Butler, mm -hmm. um, the sci-fi author who's kind of like she believes in this idea of primitive hypertext um oh, which is like hypertext in the world and like and for camila it was like this very um comforting thing because you can do something and like kind of do it based on intuition not really know where it's coming from and then like two years later you're like oh i know what the connection is um, oh, interesting. You know, like, yeah, yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, why limit yourself when everything's going to be connected anyway just because you're a person? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like my, I feel like that's part of my way of thinking about that also. And I think the way this podcast has evolved, kind of following my own interests, is very much of, of tr like blurring some of those boundaries and, and, and not you know, maybe defining things so, so rigidly. Um, we had mentioned you worked at the Creative Independent for a time. So let's like just kind of quickly talk about, about your work history so then we can kind of talk about for some sure. of these larger ideas. So when you finished RISD, did you start working at Link by Air right away? Um, no. Well, so I first had a quick inter internship at Wolf Owens. Okay. Um, and 
then after that, I had an internship at Link by Air. Okay. And then somehow I was hired there, and then I stayed there for a long time. What was that like? I, I don't know. I don't think I've talked to anybody who has worked there. Uh, I, I don't think I even know anybody who works there currently or has worked there, but I'm a big fan of their work in general. What was that like? What did you learn oh, from yeah. your experience I feel there? like I learned everything I know. <laughs> but, um, I mean, um, yeah, Link Buyer was like my – like I also think like if I didn't find Link Buyer, maybe I would have left New York in a way because like – you know, I was like a very, you know, young <laughs> person. Um, but, and they also, they thought I knew more coding than I actually did, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which is like a nice feeling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was originally, I thought like they're, the, they're, they made great work. And my favorite project was a school of arts, Yale School of Arts. Oh, website, yeah. Um, yeah. That was, you know, this modular wiki. Um, that could be edited by any student, yeah. um, except not like the tuition module. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, only, you know, that then, explains a lot. <laughs> only staff can edit the tuition module. Okay. I love um, that. But students, you know, can edit the backgrounds and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I learned, I like designed my first like big website there. I remember the first project I worked on was this magazine, Art Asia Pacific's website. Mm, yeah. And that website is still up. I mean, it definitely looks old now, but there's still, like, when I look back at it, there are still some things I think are really cool. Yeah, nice. Um, and when was that then? This was 2000, like, it launched in 2011. Um, so, so like, while you're, so you're there for a while, and then you, like, how'd you get connected with the Creative Independent? What were you doing for them? Was that design work, or were you doing kind of content stuff? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so technically, well, first of all, just just to be straightforward, like I was at Link Buyer, and then I took like a break of sorts. Um, actually, I, I'm trying to remember the chronology, but I definitely was um, freelancing slash. I also did this like um, visiting professor thing at CCA. Okay. Yeah, at, I want to come back and talk about but, that. You know, but then and then I had like a moment where I was just kind of not doing anything for a little bit. But, I mean, of course, when I say not doing anything, I was doing some things. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, um, yeah, I was, technically my role at the Creative Independent was creative director. Oh, okay. Um, which is a funny title to have, like, two creatives, like, in your full title. Right. Very, oh, creative director of creative independent. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, like, very creative, I guess. But, um, but, I mean, I was given a lot of, um, like, authorship and flexibility, which was amazing. Um, but they already had the title. And they already knew that they were going to um, be doing interviews about the creative process. And they knew that they wanted to post once a day. And other than that, that's all they knew. Okay. And, oh, and they also knew that they wanted to position it. Um, it would be kind of its own thing. And okay. like kind of in, in some ways. like and, Yeah, and it's just like for, for listeners who don't know oh, sure. what this is. It's, it's a Kickstarter, like online publication uh, that's like an interview series. It's only interviews. Or is it essays also? Um, so technically... Yeah, it's thecreativeindependent.com, and it's, it's it's it it describes itself as a growing archive of the creative process. Okay. But what this really means is they post an interview with a creative person, many different types, like every weekday. But they've diversified their okay. offerings, okay. so now it's sometimes essays, sometimes pieces of wisdom, sometimes right. other things. Right. Um, yeah. But. Um, and so you're talking. You're you're 
you got involved before it had launched. Yeah. Though. So you so you got to help kind of shape what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was hired like summer 2016, which wasn't that long ago, um, and it launched like the end of September. But yeah, so it was kind of like a month or two where we're like, what is this thing? Kind of like mini identity identity crises all the time. But basically, I did a lot of research, and um, there was this quote from this self-help book. Maybe you've heard of it, The Artist's Way. Yeah, okay. Julia Cameron. Yeah, Julia yeah. Cameron. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the audio book, but like, there's yeah. some really nice like, new agey flute solos. Okay. Um, I did not know that. But I, re- I mean, I have to say, I like kind of love The Artist's Way. Um, um, even though like, I feel like it's not necessarily for, like sometimes you can feel like, oh, is this for me? Is this not for me? Um, definitely feel like parts of it apply to the everyone. Thing, the thing that I took away from that book that I, I go in phases with, but is the idea of, or maybe this isn't in the artist's way, but it's a Julia Cameron thing, the morning pages, where you have to oh. write like three full pages a day. Like to, It's like that's for writers mostly, but I've definitely gone through periods of my life where I've done that, uh, and I find it so helpful. And when I'm not doing it, I always think like, oh, I should do artist pages again. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was so interesting. You're not supposed to look at them after either. Right. Yeah. Right. You just like write them and it's just to like get stuff on the page and then you go and do your, your work. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, I feel like this quote is on the about page of the creative independent. I feel like I've, I've read it a bunch of times, but basically she talks about any creative or artist's path as being cyclical mm-hmm. and almost being like a spiral path where you're, you know, you're interested in the same things and you like gradually get closer, but you like still have problems all the time and they never really go away. Yeah. But I maybe like it gets a little better because you get closer to the center, but it's still never perfect. You know, the yeah. artist's life is, has a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of difficulties um, embedded because you're trying to, you're trying to do something. I, I don't know. Um, you're trying to find some sort of truth. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean I don't mean to go off on a tangent, um, but I actually like uh, something that's come up on this podcast recently is this idea of practice and and the fact that we call our work a design practice. And I feel like that idea of the circle really hits at that idea of practice, and that there is this kind of constant cyclical refinement or kind of coming back to the same topics again and again. And I often think that we don't think about practice. This is like a new thing that I'm still trying to articulate exactly, but like we don't think, maybe we don't think about practice in the way that we should and that, that, you know, kind of every project we do is a way to kind of reinvestigate these things that we're kind of constantly thinking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I've been thinking about that. I also feel like that was something like, Going from school to the real world, I feel like it just takes so long to realize that, like, no, this isn't just a bunch of projects. This is, like, my lifestyle. Right, you know, yeah, like, and a body of work. Yeah, and, yeah, like, how I live my days is, like, the thesis of my life, you know, right, in some right. ways. Um, and I feel like I'm very interested in the everyday, so, you know, of course I'm interested in, like, certain rituals and stuff. Um, I think in the past year... Um, well, oh wait, I feel like I, I, uh, before, before I go to that, there's just like one thing, um, I want to say about the creative independent and that, that circular, circular path that ended up being the logo, which is a spiral. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. And, um, the spiral is pixelated because we post every day and each day is a box. Right. I love that. the boxes are colored 
um, just because like colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I never put that together before. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Um, you know, like these little punctuations, and you know, we, we kind of imagine the spiral as this thing that could like yeah. grow a lot, kind of like rings of a tree or you know, a snail's shell getting really big. Um, but yeah, so that's where it came together. And I mean, I, I just remember doing a the initial presentation to them. There were like three main themes. It was like um, calendars, and I like just showed a bunch of different types of calendars. <laughs> and then like um, spiral spirals, <laughs> I showed a bunch of different spirals. And then the third thing was like the kind of intense, but the interconnectedness of all things. Nice. I feel like I just showed like spider webs. <laughs> yeah. So, so you were doing, I want to, I want to hopefully kind of like use this to set up to these other things that we were starting to, to, sure. to then talk about, but I do want to follow this thread for a second. So for them, you were, you were still at Link by Air? Oh no. Um, you had, I, I had stopped Link by Air, um, was freelance for a while. And then like this is, it was a full-time job. Um, oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Right. Um, but then I taught one day a week. Okay. So it was like four okay. days. Yeah. And so, so you were doing kind of like, you know, you designed the site and then mm -hmm. were you doing content for it also? I was eventually. Um, okay. I had like my first interview, like, I don't know, March of the year after or okay. something. And then I did, I think I've done like seven or eight okay. um, total. Okay. But, um, and also, I don't know, just when you do a site, you're like, oh, well, um, I designed the site. And it was kind of an amazing experience to, to still be there and be able to garden it, yeah, you know? And yeah. like, that was also one of Link Buyer's philosophies, that they really like to have ongoing clients where mm, they'd mm -hmm. garden the websites. Yeah, yeah. And they'd change over time. Um, so it was like a really unique opportunity. And since we realized the site was all about time, you know, calendars, um, I also like started this series called the Weekend Artist Series, where... Um, it was a lot of work, um, but <laughs> I would invite an artist to basically, we called it the weekend curtain. So okay. during the weekends, a metaphorical curtain would go over the site and something would appear on the curtain. And usually it was, um, it could be as small as an audio file, a simple or a little video. And other times it would be more expansive, like a web project. But you would just... Um, view it and then once you were done you'd say continue and you could like the curtain would metaphorically lift up yeah yeah um and then it would be gone uh, or at least like somewhat gone <laughs> so this was like i mean it, it is actually interesting because this was a way you know kind of going back to this like what i like about your work is this blend between kind of I'm sorry to like put these definitions around, okay. but like kind of traditional kind of client web design work and these experimental kind of art projects, you're able to bring those together mm -hmm. kind of with the creative independent. And so how'd you decide to go out on your own? I have a series of questions around this. And so I'll, I'll ask you both, I'll ask you two right now and you can kind of, sure. they may or may not be related because uh -huh. I want to, I want to make sure we don't forget something we talked about earlier. Uh, yeah. Um, how do you decide to go out on your own and kind of what was the goal there or, you know, kind of how did you, you know, why did you leave this thing that seemed to bring together all of your interests? And then the second question is back to when you were talking about like the thesis of your life. I'm interested in how that actually like plays out in the work and like yeah. as being a solo practitioner, um, do you feel like you're kind of, you know, building that kind of body of work that you're talking about? I feel like I have a, a few reasons why I left, but 
I don't know if I have like a super good reason. I mean, in some ways, I I just think the structure of it being a full-time job eventually kind of got to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or just like, I don't know. I feel like it was also a little bit of like self-sabotage where I was like, wow, this is a full-time job. Am I doing enough for it? Because I would all, you know, just, just the way I am, I'd always have a bunch of other things going right, on. Right, right. Um, but yeah, it was amazing to work there, and and also maybe the open office got to me, but that's just like a crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that that will do it. But but um, it was an amazing job, like all things said. But um, I I went off on my own, and um, I'm not sure what my goals were. I mean, I think I just paused for a little bit, um, but I do have to say. Hmm. Yeah, maybe going back to what we were talking about before, like design as a practice. Yeah. Um, one thing I've been thinking about in the past, so the past year, I've I started to do a bunch of like public speaking, and I've never done that before. And th- yeah, this will link up to something yeah. else, but um, like it started with um. I spoke at the Peer to Peer New York event. Okay. Um, and then I spoke at this thing at Parsons, where we are right now, um, yeah. called Digital Materiality. Oh, yeah. In the Age of Design Systems. Yeah. But this is just to say that, like, and then I continued to do stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, somehow I'm on, like, a speaking tour. Like, I didn't even <laughs> realize right. this would happen. But um, public speaking, like, I don't think I could do this much for the rest of my life, but it's been a really nice way to pause and like articulate some things I'm thinking yeah and then you know when you go back to your computer and you know you're coding a website of course that like comes back um and it's like this cyclical thing yeah and um yeah um, I I feel like I I know exactly what you're talking about and I feel like that's what this podcast is for me really like if I'm really being honest it's a way for me to ask people it's a way for me to to one talk to people who I think are smarter than me about things that I'm interested in and then two it's a way for me to articulate it's it's a way for me to kind of articulate the things that I'm trying to work through and um you know I used to do that much more so through writing uh and I've found and I still do a little bit of writing, not as much as I would like, but I've found that there's something about the kind of like dialecticalness mm-hmm. of conversation that allows me to like really figure out what I what I think. Yeah. Uh, which is like what public speaking does. And so I, I'm I you also you know, you you mentioned you're you're doing more public speaking, but you also seem to do a fair amount of writing. And I'm kind of curious how how that whether it's speaking or even the writing, how does that kind of fit into your practice? Well, the creative independent was awesome because eventually I just was like doing interviews as part of my job. And I was like such a treat to be able to just interview interesting people um, as part of my full-time job. Um, But, and I also wrote a piece for them a couple months ago um, that was an essay um, that was like about it was both about the design of the creative independent, but also about the design and importance for individuals to have websites. Mm. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's called, it was called, um, it had kind of a long title. Uh, my house, let's see, okay. My house, wait, wait my website <laughs> is a house next to a, wait, 
<laughs> okay, okay, okay. Here we, we go. We can just um, put a link to it on the page and people can just click uh, on it. Okay. But <laughs> okay. The title's cool. Uh, okay. It's like, my website is a house next to a river of knowledge. Or no, my, okay, my website is a shifting house next to a river of knowledge. Okay. And that was like the metaphor for the creative independent. We thought that like... Um, the interviews were this river and they were like always flowing, you know, cause they were like mm, done mm-hmm, every mm-hmm. weekday. And then our house was the website. And as we gained more knowledge from the river, the house would gradually change. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. But, oh, and so that was part one of the title. <laughs> part two was, um, what could yours be? So like my house oh. is this, what is your, or my website is this, what, right, what right, is yours? Right, right. So I was just going through all these metaphors of what websites can be. And my, my big thing was just like a website can be anything. And like, even like in my classes, I'm trying to teach students that like a website is just like a collection of files and it has to have an index.html file. And it could be like, you know, just a, picture of meat on a page if you want it to be it could also be an archive or you know all these other things um i think i said like i remember it was like it could be a room it could be a shelf it could be a puddle it could be a and then i the last one i ended with was a kind of silly it was oh also it could be a garden um it could be a rock that you throw into an ocean and then like it goes deep and mm, deep and, yeah, and like yeah. that's all you see of it you know right it's like you you make it and you forget about it um but it was yeah just trying to remind people that actually making a website is quite easy and it can really work and complement your practice um like if you're an artist you should think about like what kind of website you want it doesn't have to be this portfolio right yeah, yeah. i mean i feel like there was this really sweet spot where it actually connected with um the history of the internet and where it's going mm. um, because I ended the article with like um, this thing that was like, whoa, the web turned, I think the web turned 29 last year. It's basically oh. as old as us. <laughs> right, <think>. right, yeah. <laughs> um, but like the web is basically, Tim Berners-Lee, who is the creator of the World Wide Web, said the web is in a state of threat. Um, we need like more power in the hands of individuals. Um, and that's why I'm like advocating for an abundance of websites, you know, right. managed by individuals. Um, and so back to like my day-to-day life, um, how does this affect like, yeah, my design work? Um, I started doing this thing where, um, because, you know, a bunch of people email me being like, hey, I want a website. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm an artist. And I'm like, that's cool. But, um, you know, all these things. Um, usually, you know, websites take so long. Usually they take up rent in my head that I'm not willing to right. give. I love how you put that. Oh, um, Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, but so I started doing this thing. Like, I'm like, would you be interested in spending a whole day with me and finishing your website by the end of the day. I know that's like a lot of pressure, but we're not going to make a perfect website. You know, we're going to decide what kind of website it is and that's going to be okay. And also if you don't want to publish it at the end of the day, that's okay too. Like, you know, you can sit with it for a while, but so far I've done like maybe four or five of them in the past like few months. 
Um, I mean, I'm not, you know, maybe they hate them. I don't know. But so far I've been feeling good because I just like, you know, charge a, a day rate and it's like, um, and usually I like get to know them really well and they also don't want to spend forever on their website. Like they usually have like specific goals for it. Um, and I mean, for me, like it's been a nice way to have small projects and big projects at the same time and not have them all take the same. Yeah. Like this is very pragmatic, but this also goes back to my essay where I'm like, I just want artists to have websites. Can we talk about teaching a little bit? Cause you mentioned, you know, you're talking about this with your students also, uh, and teaching is something that I think about more and more of, of my practices is interested in teaching. How did you start teaching? Was that something you were interested in doing or oh, yeah. you had um, an ambition to do? I mean, eventually. I wasn't ha expecting it to happen so soon, almost. Um, I guess it's been like five years since I started teaching. It was through Dan and Tamara at Link by Air that okay. um, yeah. I got the connection to Yale and they just needed someone to teach interactive. Um, nice. And I know, yeah, um, I was super intimidated for a lot of reasons. Um yeah, it's scary. Yeah, yeah it's like, so yeah, it's scary, um, like, the whole authority issue, like, that you're supposed to have authority, yeah. but, like, these people are your same age, and you want to be friends with them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I just remember my main strategy was, like, okay, I'm just going to have um, a bunch of interesting constraints, and they're going to react to them because that's what the world is like. And because oh, if, if they don't, um, I mean, obviously these constraints weren't completely random. They're put there for a reason, but I just remember being like, if they don't like trust me, they have these constraints that they can play with. I mean, I had a lot of like, Oh my God, like what's going to happen when yeah. I don't have a good answer, yeah. you know, and like, well, you can just follow these rules and something might happen, you know? Yeah. But definitely my, um, my approach has shifted over the years as I've gained more confidence and also like just understand what people want more. And I, I read, I started reading that book you recommended, um, teaching as, oh, yeah. as subversive activity. And, um, I'm, what do you think? Oh, I think it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it completely changed my life. Uh, I guess I'm curious like how it's changed your classes. Um, but I, I, I mean, just to say, like, what it's meant to me so far, or, like, the thesis of the book to me so far is just, like, um, students should have the questions. Right. And um, then you'll form, like, kind of what the class is based on their questions. Yeah. And they should learn to just question almost everything about the world. Right. Yeah. That's exactly the same thing for me. And, like, my, my – I didn't mean to cut you off, but this – I get, as you can tell, I get really excited about this book. Um, what you were just saying about authority was a big one for me. And I think, you know, whether it was like insecurity, whether it was feeling too young, whether it was like a fear of not having the right answers, uh, that book, like basically a combination of that book and just, you know, teaching more and more made me realize that being a good teacher or even just my job as a teacher is not to be the authority mm -hmm. um, and is not to be the person who's like standing in the front of the room, totally. like telling people, telling the students, 
what to do. And especially in design, I feel like the book has is not about design at all, but is so applicable to how we think about design and that it's not about teaching about my own design education it's not about teaching like this is good design this is bad design it's about teaching it's about getting students to question why we consider certain things good design and certain things bad design totally. and i really like wanted when i first started teaching really wanted to to like have the classes be really open and let the students do whatever they wanted uh but also like wanted to make sure that they learned how to do the things they needed to do to get jobs. Right. And I feel like that book helped me find a good balance in letting the students kind of guide with their interests and then letting me just be another participant in the class in a way, but also the person that's like putting the parameters mm -hmm. around it. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I mean, I, d I definitely think that my original teaching mentality totally came from a place of insecurity <laughs> yeah. and it's only through growing that yeah. I realized that, yeah, I feel like that, I mean, I'm only halfway done, uh, full disclosure, but like teaching is all about just like creating a learning environment. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I do think there are subtle ways I, I've already been doing that, but definitely I can improve a lot. Um, but like even, I like play music in class before people, or like as people are coming in. I've been wanting to do that, oh. and I'm really self conscious about it. Oh, you should do I it. think I'm going to do it this semester. Do it, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, of course, I'm sure a lot of students hate my music, but um, some students ask for like a playlist at the end. Yeah. You know? But uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, how has being in the classroom and being a teacher, has that changed how you think about your work uh, and like the work you're doing with clients? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have a really good answer uh, off the top of my head, but um, yeah, I mean, I definitely use my class as like a research lab sometimes, um, trying out like new ideas um, with workshops and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I also wouldn't say like, I mean, client work is important for some reasons but um yeah I, i'm not sure i feel like everything's connected and yeah for me like well, yeah everything's like one well speaking of using using the the classroom as like a research i was looking at your your like teaching website to prepare for this conversation and some of your classes looked very interesting to me like you had one on i think it was called like interactive concrete poetry or something like that yeah. and then you had something i saw you're teaching one this semester about coding as writing or something like that how do how do classes like that come about or, or oh, sure can you talk about those that sound like a little bit different than the normal web design class yeah i mean the first one interactive concrete poetry came about because um there was just an email at Yale that went around that was like, anyone want to propose a freshman seminar? They're like these mm. experimental little classes that freshmen take. Um, and so I proposed that because I was really interested in concrete poetry and how like, um, you know, the constraints of the printed page during the 50s and 60s and how people were reacting yeah. to that, like how people are now reacting to the scrolling page. Um, are they connected? Um and that was that was a really interesting class because actually only like four people signed up for it. They were all freshmen. They had never had an art class or like conceptual art class before. So there was like a lot of 
things. I just felt like I was showing them things mm-hmm. like all the time. Um, I feel like when I, for some reason, when I showed them Jenny Holzer's work, like something like really interesting. Clicked. I think it was like the public. Um, yeah. These you know truisms, <laughs> um, but yeah, and so that one, and then this year, uh, programming as writing is the title, and that one came about. Um, is that the same type of thing? It's freshman. Um, actually, it's, no. This okay. one is actually a first year grad class, and I've never oh nice completely taught a, a grad class before. My usual class is half grad, half undergrad. Okay. Um, the one that's called interactive design. Um, this one came about because. Um, with both um, Dan Michelson and Ahem Grawi, who um, has been working under the dean at the Yale School of Art, like as a facilitator, and I think his title was like director of publishing or something at, oh, at the school. Okay, but he was kind of his role was like to connect more people together, and with with him, um, we developed this conversation series last fall, um, just to try to get people talking about interactive design more. Mm. And then after that, we realized that we needed one more class in the curriculum um, because there was kind of like this hole um, that existed where we kind of needed something to lead up to Dan Michelson's class. Okay. Um, and so, I don't, know, I don't know exactly, somehow, yeah, Ahem and I were talking and that title just came about. Um, so what is, what is it what exactly? Is it? That's yeah. a good question. So I'm developing it now, so okay. I can't like tell you everything, but I can tell you that I've been thinking of it, like what if a writing workshop um, you did with code, and usually, mm-hmm. you know, the idea of a writing workshop is you're trying a bunch of different things, like with constraints and stuff. And maybe at the end you have like a bit longer to develop something further. Mm. And usually at the end of a writing workshop, you end up with a bunch of writings. And so maybe with this, you end up with a bunch of um, websites or something. Oh, interesting. But okay, so that's one part of it. And then we've also been thinking about programming um, because, you know, programming is a language. There's so many um, things going on there, but Write, there are three types of writing and programming. There's the code itself. Um, then there's the writing that appears like in the what what the user sees. Yeah. And then there's also the metadata, um, which mm-hmm. is could be comments in the code or, you know. Right. Um, right. And Donald Newth um, has this term called literate programming. Wait, okay. wait, hold on. I think that's what it's called. I'm gonna. You might have to cut this out. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, we've been using that too. Um, which, which basically that whatever that term is, it just means that um, that uh, programming uh, programs should be readable by humans as well as computers. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay. Um, so I mean, there are a lot of like big ideas going into this class, but I think at the end of it, I want to expose students to um, a few key programming languages. Um, and another big thing is I just want people to feel like confident with their computer even before the internet is turned on. Oh, that's um, nice. And so like, you know, doing basic like terminal scripts, yeah. um, getting like a list of files, like, I don't know, I just think that empowers you so much. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a really good idea. I mean, I remember when I first started learning terminal things, like I just felt A, cool. <laughs> And B, like I had access something that was always there that I just was always a mystery to me. So I think that's like a really great idea. Cool. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm curious to hear how that class goes and yeah, kind of what happens. Yeah, uh, we should too. do another one of these after the class and yeah. see how it goes. I'm worried that like uh, teaching a subversive activity is going to like <laughs> kind of overhaul everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's what, a... yeah. I mean, what does programming and writing mean to you? <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's um, so interesting. I'm really curious. What else are you thinking about right now? What are things that are on your mind or that you're interested in? Maybe something that connects back to that creative independent essay about websites. Um, I just spent a week in San Francisco mm -hmm. um, at the Distributed Web Summit um, as part of... I, I led a workshop with my friend Kyle Mock, and then I gave a five-minute lecture. But basically, I've been... Um, and Mindy Sue, who I know you interviewed yep. before, yeah. she, she organized this amazing creative track yeah. that was part of this bigger conference that the Internet Archive organized. Um, and then just... Also, Sam Hart co-organized it with her. Right, right. Anyway, that's all yeah, the people. Yeah. Um, yeah, she talked about it when I talked to her. She was in the planning stages of it, I okay. think, or had you know was just starting to think about it or something like that. But yeah, she and I talked about it cool. in, in that episode. Um, yeah, but I mean, um, basically, um, last winter I started to get into this because I heard about this new browser called Beaker Browser. Um, I think they call it the Beaker Browser or Beaker. Yeah. Uh, Beakerbrowser.com. Um, basically, when you open it, um, there's this little button next to the search bar that says um, create a new website. And so you, the idea is that you could create a website right within the browser. So it's kind of like leveling the playing field of like viewing and surfing for stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, being an active participant in that stuff. Um and this is further um, deepened because when you create a new website, what happens is that you're creating the website on your computer, and your computer is becoming the server. And um, and also, this uses a new protocol um, called DAT. So the website URLs on Beaker Browser start with DAT colon slash slash instead of HTTP colon slash slash. But basically, I mean, what this means is that you can access my website on the DAT protocol on Beaker Browser if my computer's open and I'm, you know, serving these files. Oh, okay. I've been so curious. I mean, this is, I was so curious about this because I'm, I'm, I know I follow you on Arena and you're kind of always saving P2P stuff there. And that seems to be big among the people that I follow on Arena. And it seems like, I'm very curious about it, and you know, a lot of my interest is in kind of the relationship between theory and making, and I feel like I feel like that's kind of your interest in websites too is very much on the theoretical side and on kind of then how they are made, and I feel like kind of DAT and P2P stuff really brings those together and kind of starts to think about in theory what a website. Like it really is. Is yeah. Yeah, um, t totally. Um, and one other thing about it is that if if you like the website, 
if you see my website and you like it, you can say, I want to see this website because so, it's so cool. And then it's basically like a BitTorrent network where... Okay. So then, you know, if my computer shuts down, you know, thankfully... Okay, this is, that's what I was trying to ask then is... Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't understand the technical side about how it works. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Um, so, you know, if I have a viral video, my computer won't get hot and explode because other people are seeing it too. Right. Um, in theory. Um, but yeah, I mean, what like what you were saying, it totally ties back to like what I've been thinking about. And also, I start my classes, my interactive design class, with a history of the internet. Oh, nice. And so this all this like completely ties back to like the internet's original, you know, decentralized model. Um, and it just makes me like excited. I mean, you know, it is very optimistic, and it is in the very early stages. And it's also not to say that peer-to-peer -peer technologies haven't been around before. Just this is the first time someone, I think it's the first time someone's experimenting it in the web browser space. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny because when I tried to do a peer-to-peer -peer little workshop at Yale this past semester, peer-to-peer -peer protocols are blocked at Yale, I think because of like Kazaa. Oh, right, and right. Stuff. <laughs> and, like music and file oh, so interesting. Knowing that a website is built on this protocol or 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 even the potential of of this kind of new way of building does it change how you think about what a website could be or what a website could do like going back to that essay even going back to those kind of early websites you were making does this open up new things in any way um you know what i mean yeah yeah totally i mean um i think my answer is yes i'm not sure exactly how i do think that the takeaway, well, there are a couple of things, but I feel like for me, it's provided, it's having like a, if, if the internet is like a constant stream of like, like a downpour of information, this is like a little dry spot. Mm. Um, this is also just like, I mean, it's also a place because there's no like search engine for it. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. And then, I mean, there are a lot of, so it's kind of like this experimental yeah. little quiet place. Right. Um, and as an experiment, I was keeping a blog that was only on this um, mm. for a little while. I mean, technically, you know, it could still be going if I write to it <laughs> again. Right. Um, but I was posting to it whenever I was on the train or plane because I was doing that a lot while I was teaching. And um, the other cool thing about Beaker Browser is that if you save a website um, to your library which is basically like you're seeding it. Um, right. It gets saved to your computer, and you can view it and navigate it while you're offline. Oh, interesting. Um, so for me, that was super cool because I would be on the train, and I'd, like, look at my saved sites. And, you know, I just have, a, you know, a few weird friends who are doing stuff. And I just, like, read their updates. Yeah. And it was this funny, like, form of, I don't know, it was, like, very calm. I could, like, really appreciate them. Um, it was also kind of re reminded me of RSS back in yeah, the day. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It feels like early internet kind of again. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I guess like my hope is just that there are more options for people. And if people don't want to be part of like this downpour of information all the time, they don't have to. I mean, like they can go into another room. Like, of right. course, I'm not saying like don't be part of it it's important to know. Right, I know what you mean. Yeah, but just like more balance. Yeah, um, I love that. My last question is a question that I end kind of all of these interviews with. 
Are there books or writers or people who have really kind of influenced you or the way you think about these things? Or if someone's listening to this and is like kind of interested in what you're talking about, where would you point them, you know, as a reading list? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry, I know I should have prepared for this question because I, I put a lit mental note in my head that I should prepare. <laughs> um, I mean... I feel like on my teaching website, I have a whole list of a whole library section. Um, we can I also, just send people there. Yeah, we could go there. Also, I mean, I'm I'm pretty active on Arena. Um, I have a whole channel called Web Design Criticism. Oh, nice. Um, but I've, I'm not. Yeah, I also like I'm interested in like completely other things like novels and like poetry. And, what novels have you read recently? Oh, um, I guess the most recent one, I read Elena Ferrante's My Brilliant Friend. Oh, um, that's been on my list. Everyone says they're so great. Yeah. All of her books are so great, they say. Yeah, I think I'm going to go on to the next one. Um, let's see. I also, um, I've been reading, let's, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, this poet, Lynn Higinian, um, she has these essays about her poetry, um, that have been really awesome to me. Like there's this one essay called The Rejection of Closure, mm. um, which is kind of about how she writes poetry where it has to be like this. Um, I mean, she's never explained how she writes poetry, but I think it must be erasure. Mm. Um, just the, the strange combinations like no one could yeah. actually do. But her openness is like, you need to be specific, but also open enough where anyone could have um, an interpretation um, and it's also kind of related to maybe like being a female and um, yeah just like having many interpretations of the same text yeah uh, and I'm trying to think yeah I've been reading <laughs> and then I've been reading let's see <laughs> I don't know maybe that's that's good for now yeah I mean honestly I think I think just sending people to your arena channel i mean you're you're very prolific uh, <laughs> on there you're one of my favorite follows um thank you so much for being on the podcast this was really fun oh sure yeah thanks for this episode was recorded on august 9th 2018 in new york city our theme music is by andy borgasani we're on twitter and instagram at surface podcast you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratching the surface.fm thanks for listening